So I wonder if you're familiar, or if you've eaten lychees before, a, a fresh lychee, one of my favorite fruits. Um, you will know that this, this fruit is, is obviously more enjoyable as a fresh fruit rather than a tinned fruit, but it's a small fruit, the, the size of a, a walnut, and on the outside it is fairly rough, um, it is sometimes even prickly, um, and if you look at that just on the outside, you probably wouldn't want to, to eat the, the flesh that is in the inside if you didn't know what a lychee was. It's very, it's very unattractive. But when you, when you peel the, the lychee inside, there's, there's this soft, white, juicy fruit, even with a very delightful aroma and, of course, taste. And a lychee is rough on the outside, but yet on the inside, it's, it's very different. It's a fruit of great contrast presented with very two different sides. And I think the account of which Luke presents us is very similar. It's twofold. It's a bittersweet tale in, in which there is both rejoicing over the coming of, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as we all have done during the, the Christmas season. And yet, even in our passage this morning, there are pointers to the cross that aren't so joyful. There are pointers to the cross, to the pain that Jesus will undergo, to the suffering that he will have to endure. And our story here has two sides that are, are very different. Jesus, the infant baby, was already, he was the Savior. He was already very special. But as we will see in our text this morning, the mission of Jesus had begun, which would ultimately lead him to the cruel harsh road to Calvary, where he would give up his life to redeem us from our sins. And today I want us to look at the significance of what was happening in the temple with, uh, G with, 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 uh, with Jesus as well as Mary. Remember here she's presenting her firstborn male child to, to Yahweh. And if you look at verse 21, if verse 21 did not happen or Jesus failed to allow this to happen, his whole mission to this earth would have failed. The whole purpose for him coming to the earth would have, would have been null and void. And we would stand hopeless and condemned in our sins. And these verses are very important to understand. If you read even one of these verses too fast, you can miss out on an enormous blessing so today I want to just take the time to go through these four verses. And the first verse we're looking at is verse 21, Jesus' circumcision. And just the first part there we read, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised. This is talking about Jesus' circumcision. And according to the ceremonial law, which we see in the Old Testament in Leviticus Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, which every Hebrew boy had to do. He was born under the law of Moses. Jesus was obligated to keep this law. He was circumcised because it was God's law to be obeyed until it was set aside. So circumcision was a sign of the covenant made between God and Abraham. And I want to remind you of that this morning. It's, it's very important. I don't just want to skip over that. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. 
Genesis chapter 17, or you can read from the screen there, we see the covenant here made between God and Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, in verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Look at verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you... You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you will keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant verse 14 any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this was a sign that the Lord insisted that the, the Jewish people were to observe. A sign of this covenant, this blessing that the Lord had for his special people. And we see here Jesus observing and keeping this covenant. Keeping the law that they were obliged to keep. But Galatians 4 in the New Testament tells us that in order for Jesus to redeem us from the law, there were two things he had to have done. Number one, he had to be born as a human like us. If you look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. So God sent his son as a human who was born through Mary. So that was the first thing. He had to be a human like us. But the second thing we see in Galatians is that he had to have obeyed the law of God perfectly. The rest of Galatians tells us there, born of a woman, but born under the law. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. I asked you a few weeks ago, the question that I had in my mind as a, as a youngster, why didn't Jesus just come to the earth as a, as a 30-year-old and start his ministry? Why didn't he just come down and be like, zapped, zapped like a, we see in the movies, like these, these people that are vaporized or, or transported and miraculously end up in a, in a different planet? Why didn't Jesus just do that? Well, the scriptures tell us that he had to be born of a woman. And the scriptures tell us that he had to be under the law. It was very important. If any redemption was going to take place, he had to have followed these, these rules. If Jesus had not been circumcised, 
he would have disobeyed the law. He would have broken the covenant made by God and Abraham. So you, may, you might say, but, but that's, that, that's harsh. Why? So what? He was only eight days old. Surely he would not be responsible for that. And I believe that is why God providentially made Mary and Joseph his, his earthly parents. Because they were faithful God followers. And God knew that these people would help him to keep the law perfectly. Even at eight days old, if Jesus was not circumcised, he would not have qualified to have been the sinless sacrifice that our redemption required. Now think about that for a moment. I remember in India, when we first arrived there, I was working, helping at a, at a mission school, and um, I was asked to help teach English classes, and the one day they asked me to invigilate some exams. And I went into the classroom, and the children were writing the exams, and I was just invigilating. And I noticed the one, one child, the one student passing notes to the next student, and I confronted them, and I took the papers away, and, and then I saw another student giving answers to another student, and it was happening all around me. And I went to, I went to the, the headmaster, and I said, listen, I don't know if you know what's going on here, but the children are cheating. <laughs> There's cheating going on. And the headmaster looked at me, and he said, don't worry, let it be. They need to do this in, in order to pass. Well, no comment on that, but the point, the illustration I'm trying to make here is that Jesus couldn't have bypassed any of the rules that were set in Scripture. If the Lord had skipped or even broken one of these rules, He would not have passed the tests that He needed to in order to be our Redeemer. If He broke even one of the laws... He would have been no better than you and I. He would have been a sinner. And he could not have given up his life as the sinless son of God. And there are no shortcuts when it comes to the, the holiness of God. Christ was made under the law, not for his benefits, but only to redeem them that were under the law, as we saw in Galatians 4. Remember, Christ was not a sinner. He didn't need to be redeemed. This wasn't for himself. This was for us, folks. It was for you and for me. So Christ's obedience here is very symbolic. <coughs> this circumcision is very important because it is a picture of the redeeming obedience of a faithful Savior. The redeeming obedience of a faithful Savior. And let's remember, our Lord Jesus was not born in sin like you and I are. He did not need to be redeemed like you and I need to be. So his circumcision was a picture. It was a, a pledge of his perfect obedience to the whole law. And we know the scriptures tell us that Jesus did not come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. Every last one of them. That's very important to understand. But look also a little closer at the rest of the verse there 
in verse 21. My second point is the naming of Jesus. Jesus here is named. Look at verse 21. At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I hope you have observed how important names were in the scriptures, especially their meanings. You know, we have already seen in Luke how the angel Gabriel told Zechariah to name his son John, which means the grace of the Lord or the mercy of the Lord. And Luke had earlier told us about the same angel Gabriel who who visited Mary and announced that she would give birth to a son. He also told her in Luke chapter 1 verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. The name Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua. We looked at that last week, which means Jehovah saves. And this is a very fitting name for the, for the Savior. But the angel Gabriel was also sent to make sure both sets of parents got the name right. He wasn't just sent to Mary. He was sent to Joseph as well. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel Gabriel says to Joseph, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the name was very important. The name was very intentional, wasn't it? Remember, Joseph wanted to divorce Mary. He wanted to put her away quietly, the scriptures say, because he thought she was pregnant by another man. And Jesus was conceived in a, in a supernatural manner. We know Mary was faithful, but Joseph needed to know that his wife was not unfaithful. And by the kind mercy of God, the Lord sent an angel to Joseph to explain to him what was happening. And he also told Joseph clearly that his child was going to be who he was going to be and what the name of the child was to be. So the angel told both Joseph and Mary what to name the child. And perhaps when they first got betrothed, they they may have suggested names to each other that they would have liked to name their children. Remember, as we saw in Zechariah, the children were normally named after their fathers or or their grandfathers or somebody in their family. But this wasn't the case with John, and this wasn't the case with Jesus. And now that... God had instructed the parents through the angel, we see their obedience. And I want you to notice that. The parents were obedient to not just the circumcision of Jesus, but they were obedient to the naming of Jesus in accordance with with God's word. And I think these are faithful parents doing everything that they could to obey the law of God. And that leads to my next point. Mary's purification in verse 22. In verse 22, it tells us, sorry, I'm in the Old Testament still, Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to 
to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, had gone to the temple so that she could present her firstborn male child to, to Yahweh in accordance with the, the Israelites' custom since the Passover times. And also so that, so that she could be purified from the, the ritual uncleanliness of childbirth in accordance to the Levitical laws. And notice, this is all according to the laws. According to the law, all firstborn males were to be presented to the Lord and redeemed by an, an offering. And notice here, the offering that, that Mary gives is, is not, a, is not a, a goat or a sheep or even an ox. It is turtle doves. It is two turtle doves. And this offering is, I think, another picture of redemption. These parents were not wealthy. In fact, they were very poor. But the Lord received this wonderful offering that was made by Jesus' human parents. So this is a picture of redemption, which points us again to what Jesus will be doing for us later on when He becomes an adult. Let me first show you this, this law and then explain the principle of redemption. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8. This, this principle of redemption is, is very clear in this passage. It's, it's all over these, these verses. But it's important that we understand what redemption is. What redemption is. In Numbers chapter 8, verse 17 tells us, for all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified, I set them apart for myself. Turn to Numbers 18. Numbers 18 verse 15. Everything that openeth the womb of all flesh which they offer unto Jehovah, both of man and beast, shall be mine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shall thou surely redeem, and the first ling of unclean beasts shall you redeem. So the definition of redemption is to buy. The definition of, of redemption is, is to purchase. Remember in the Old Testament they had slaves, and the slaves was very different to the slavery that, that we understand in our um, day and age. But the slaves were purchased. They were purchased, and you would take the slave, and the slave would become part of your family, and you would look after the slave, and the slave would, would sit at your table and, and eat with you. And we see that picture of redemption right through the Scriptures. When you gave a payment, you paid a ransom for, for something, that was redemption. And this is a picture here right from the Old Testament. And this ceremony that Mary and Joseph were performing was a picture of redemption. They acknowledged that their firstborn son belonged to God, that it was that they were just caretakers and they were sacrificing, they were giving an offering really as a payment to God to redeem their son. And they required the, the required offering was a lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon for a sin offering. But the law allowed poor people to substitute doves or, or small pigeons if you couldn't afford the, the more expensive lamb. 
And it's a wonderful picture here of the poverty and even the condescension of the Lord who left His, 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 his mansion, his, his, his kingdom to come to this earth where He didn't even have a place to, to lay down his, his head. So poverty is not dishonorable. Let me just say that clearly. Poverty is not dishonorable in God's sight. He used these very poor parents who were faithfully obedient to His will. And what does this ceremony have to do with our redemption? We see this picture here, but what does this picture have to do with our redemption? And as I said, this, this is a picture. It's an image for us. It's an example. But the Scriptures say in, in 1 Peter, in the New Testament, chapter 1, we read this this morning, verse 18, verse 18 knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We are not redeemed by money or by sacrificed animals. The scriptures teach that Christ has become our sacrificial lamb without sin. It is the blood of Christ that now redeems us. He purchases our salvation. We don't offer an animal. We don't offer a turtle doves or pigeons today because Christ has become our sacrificial atonement. He is the one who has purchased our redemption. So we see Joseph and Mary's obedience to the law of God here, and it's clearly shining bright for us in these passages. And the law of God required that every firstborn male should be circumcised. And they were faithful to that. Jesus was circumcised. The angel told both Mary and Joseph to name their child Jesus, which they did, which they were faithful to do. And the law of God required purification for Mary after giving birth to Jesus, which she did, which they were faithful in doing. And she went through 40 days of purification, but she was faithful. She was ceremonially clean again after those 40 days. And finally, we see Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to Jerusalem to consecrate him to God and also to, to pay his redemption fee, which they did, which they were faithful to do. And as I conclude here, I want you to see this example that has been set for us in scriptures. I have no doubt that when we get to heaven, we will meet the Mary and Joseph and we will get to worship them together, to worship God together with them. And their obedience was a clear indication of their faith. Their obedience was a clear indication of their faith in the merciful Redeemer that they were raising. I mean, imagine the faith required to do that, folks. Imagine the faith required to do that. But the Apostle John says in John chapter 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we see that happening with Mary and Joseph. And our obedience does not earn us favor with God or doesn't give us a ticket into heaven. And Mary and Joseph knew that. But rather, it's evidence. It's evidence of our faith in God. And Mary and Joseph's faith was in God. Their faith was in the promises that were revealed in the scriptures of the Messiah to come. And our obedience is a sign of our love for God. Our love for God is displayed in our obedience. 
And the same is true for, for Mary and Joseph. Joseph and Mary knew that they were sinners who needed to be redeemed. And they held tight to this promise of redemption. And the question I want to ask you this morning is how tight do you hold onto this promise of redemption? Well, maybe you're asking, why do I even need to be redeemed? Well, thank you for asking. I think it's an important question that needs to be answered. What is redemption? And the answer to that question is, because we are lost in our sin, mankind is separated from God because of that. And if you don't believe that, then you are calling God a liar, the Bible says. Sin produces guilt, sin produces death, and sin produces separation from God. We are in bondage to our sin and we cannot free ourselves. God's word tells us that the human race is dead to the things of God. We don't have an appetite for the things of God. We have an appetite for the things of the world. And man's world is enslaved to sin. And man's thinking is, is darkened because of sin. Man is spiritually blind. And God is just and righteous in, in shutting us out from his glories and enjoying Him. He is, he is righteous to do that. He should have done that. The Scriptures tell us the wages of sin is death. And there have been many books that have tried to prove the Bible wrong. There have been many books that have been written recently that even try to explain hell away and tell us that hell is not real. It's just a myth. You know, Jesus addressed the subject of hell more than any other speaker in the Bible. And none of us have treasured God the way that we should. In fact, we are all in rebellion against God. And we have sought satisfaction in other things. And we've treated them as more valuable than, than God. God's Word tells us that man's soul is eternal. So physical death does not destroy the the real you, folks, the Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We will be judged, and hell is a very real thing, and heaven is a very real thing. A destination for all souls, one or the other. We don't just stop existing. We need to be redeemed because of our sin. Because of the consequences of our sin. And because of the power of sin. We need to be redeemed. And how is this possible? Well, this is where the narrative we just read this morning comes together. Redemption is about Jesus Christ. Redemption is possible because of Jesus Christ. He is the one and only merciful Redeemer. Christ became the the substitute for sinners. And we see that in the picture of, the, of those turtle doves. We see that in the picture throughout the Bible of all of those lambs, of all of those ox that were, that were sacrificed. They were a substitute. And they were just a covering. Our blood could not be cleansed. The, our sins could not be cleansed by the blood of goats and bulls. Only the blood of Jesus could do that because He was qualified because he was sinless. You know, in India, it, it broke our hearts to see people trying to 
give a sacrifice to God that wasn't accepted by him. Now, people would often bring coconuts, and they would bring rice, and they would bring sugar. They would even bring money. You know, at one stage, people would, would bring an offering of, of rice the same weight as their baby. And they, they would put their baby on the scale, and the baby would have to be equaled or balanced out by the amount of rice or the amount of, of sugar or even gold as an offering to God to redeem their child. It's, it's amazing that how even these pagan religions have the idea of redemption, have the idea that they are sinners who need to be redeemed from their sins. But the only offering, the only substitute that would be accepted by the Holy God is a sinless offering, folks. Is a perfect offering. And that is Jesus Christ. And we see that happening right here as he's eight days old. Not even breaking the law at eight days old. God made sure that even at eight days old, he was perfect and he was sinless. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ died for sinners like us, like you, and like me. And he offered himself as the, as the innocent substitutionary sacrifice for sin on behalf of all of those who acknowledge their sin. And that's the key right there, folks. If you don't think that you're a sinner, then you have no need for a savior. Christ came to save sinners. He took the guilt of sinners upon himself on the cross. He bore our guilt and he endured God's judgment against it. And this is the good news of Christmas. This is what we've been looking at this last month. Christ took on human nature in order to deliver us from sin and to restore us back to God. And Jesus Christ is this God-man. He is the only mediator between God and man. And Christ's obedience to the Father was an obedience to the point of death on a cross. It wasn't just in one small thing. It was in everything, even to the point of death. And Christ's love for sinners is demonstrated by His willingness to die for us while we were yet enemies of God. Christ's offer of himself in our place at Calvary has fully satisfied the justice of God. Amen? Thank God for that. That's why we don't give these blood sacrifices anymore. Because there's a sacrifice that has been made once and for all. And Christ's death obtained our redemption, our eternal redemption. That sacrifice, that payment that was paid for us was accepted by a holy God. And he accomplished our redemption. And Christ has risen from the dead. And the empty tomb is proof that Christ's sacrifice for sinners was accepted by God on, on our behalf. You go to the tomb today in Jerusalem, it is empty. Christ rose bodily from the dead. And his resurrection validates 
the saving power of his death. If he had not been risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. But he has been risen, folks, and everything he did is very valid. It is very necessary. And it opens up the gates of eternal life for us and eternal joy. Christ's resurrection guarantees the resurrection of the believers. By the Redeemer's death and resurrection, we can come home to God. Finally, we can be reconciled to God the Father. We who were enemies of God, we who were aliens to God, can be redeemed to God the Father because of Jesus Christ. There's a, a lovely illustration of redemption I want to share with you about a father and a son in England. This little boy loved boats, and his dad carved a, a beautiful model boat made out of, of wood for his son. It had fabric sails with rigging and carefully painted features all across this, this boat. And one summer day, the, the boy told his father that he was going to sail his model ship in the, in the shallows of the bay. And a sudden wind swept the boat out to sea. Of course, the boy, distraught, he returned home crying and, and told his father the, the sad news of how the boat was lost. Six months later, the boy was walking down the town when, to his utter amazement, he saw his own boat for sale in the window of a village toy shop. And he ran in and he, he told the owner that it was his boat. His father had made it for him and he had lost it six months before. And the shop owner told the boy that it may be true that it once was yours, but now it is not yours. It is mine and if you want it, it's going to cost you 12 pounds. And the next day, he returned to the shop with his father. And the boy waited outside, and his father came out of the store with this beautiful boat under his arm. But the father had to purchase that boat for his son. He had to pay the 12 pounds for the boat that, that he had made in order to give this gift to his son. That's a wonderful picture of redemption. When the human race that God had created rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden, their departure from God placed our first parents under the dominion of Satan, who was free to reign over us. And under Satan's rule, there was this darkness that came upon us, and we were in bondage to, to sin. We were enslaved to sin. And no amount of human effort could, could free us. Only God could save us from this enslavement and that's what happened in our hostility while we were yet enemies with God he went into that shop he went to Calvary to purchase our freedom to purchase our redemption and only a ransom of infinite value could produce our release from this bondage of sin and redemption buys us out of, of Satan's assumed ownership over us. Remember that, folks. Redemption is costly. It's not something cheap. 
The redemption of our souls is not something cheap. The boat costs 12 pounds. But our souls are of far more value. It costs the very life of Jesus. To be saved, to be purchased by God, to be owned by God is, is to live as His possession. And if you call yourself a Christian today, folks, I want to encourage you this morning not to take the redemption of Christ lightly. To be owned by God is to live as His possession. Are you living as His possession? We are no longer slaves to sin. We are bought with a price. And therefore the Bible tells us we must glorify God in our bodies. Are we doing that with our lives? Are we doing that with our minds? If you call yourself a Christian, if you've been redeemed this morning, our Christian life is to honor God just like Mary and Joseph did. And that's why there's such a wonderful picture for us this morning as we bring this together. They obeyed God. They honored God. They honored His Word. They were faithful to it because of their faith in the merciful Redeemer. Is your faith in the merciful Redeemer? It's a privilege to be God's treasured possession. And that's what He calls His children, folks. He calls us His treasured possession. Think of all the, the treasured possessions that you have. The Bible talks about us being God's treasured possession. And we have this fellowship and this intimate communion with the holy, majestic God of the universe. And He wants to know us better. And He wants us to, to know Him better. And there's a cost involved. There's a cost on our side when it comes to this redemption. And the cost is that we would die to ourselves daily. That we would die to sin. And that we would live for God and His glory. And it's a daily it's struggle putting to death our lusts. But it's something that we need to be doing. It's something that we can't ignore or think that's going to happen automatically. There is this fight, folks. There is this fight against sin. It will be living unto God and being satisfied with all that He is toward you in Christ that will help you overcome this lust that the Bible talks about. And the message of redemption is, is intended not just for unbelievers. That's what I'm trying to get through here this morning. This wonderful picture of redemption is for believers. There's a, such a cost that's being involved and a cost that is valuable and was necessary. And it's intended to transform our, our walk with God. It's not just to get us a ticket into heaven. It's to change our lives and how we worship God. Christ came to save us from our sins. And the very nature of Christ's mission was to secure the salvation of those who are chosen to eternal life. His bride, His church. I think this is a very fitting message for us for the beginning of the new year. Because we can reflect, isn't it? We can look back. And folks, it's necessary that, that we have grown. We should have grown from last year in our walk with the Lord. Our faith need, needs to have increased from last year with our walk with the Lord. And as a church, 
We should be holier than we were last year. As a church, we should be more conformed to the image of Christ than we were last year. Because we are chosen. Because we are His treasured possession. And we want to walk closer to Him because we, we love the gospel. And we are thankful for the merciful Redeemer who gave His life as a ransom for us. If you're a genuine Christian this morning, then the knowledge of God's completed salvation, not our salvation, not something that we have done, not something that we have earned, but what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. The knowledge of this, the knowledge of this completed salvation should be something very special for you. It should be very comforting for you. And Paul rejoiced that his life was, was bound up in Christ, bound up in his completed work on the cross. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, Faithful is the saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. The apostle viewed the atonement in a most personal way. He understood the redemption was for him. It was necessary. And so should we, folks. It's not nice talking about sin. We've, we've already established that. But if we will not recognize that we are sinners who need a Savior, then the redemption of Christ is not for you. Our life, our purpose, our hope, our future, and our destiny is all wrapped up in the redemption of Christ. Our security, our, our comfort, our praise, our love, and our devotion are because of Christ. We celebrate the oneness we have with each other because of Christ, because of His redemption. And that's why we can weep over Paul and Irene leaving because of the oneness that we have because of Christ, the redemption that we have enjoyed because of our Savior. And as we start this new year, let us remember the example of Mary and Joseph. And their obedience was a clear indication of their faith in the merciful Redeemer. And our obedience does not earn us a favor with God, but it is evidence of our faith, isn't it? It is evidence of our right standing with God. And our obedience is a sign of our love for God. And are you loving God the way God wants you to? Are you living for God the way God wants you to? Joseph and Mary knew that they were sinners. She wasn't an immaculate virgin as the, as the, as the, Catholic, te the Catholic Church teach. She was a sinner who needed a Savior. They knew they were sinners who needed to be redeemed. And they held tight to the promise of redemption. And how tight are you holding to this promise of redemption? It's not just to get us into heaven. It's so that we would be pure, folks. That we would be holy as He is holy. This year, let us hold tight to this promise. Let us hold tight to this promise of 
redemption. As the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we ponder the gospel this morning again. We are just so thankful and grateful that you did not leave us to die in our sins, or that you did not destroy us and, and start all over again, which you could have, Lord, which you rightfully could have justly done. But instead, you promised a Redeemer who completed the perfect atonement 2,000 years ago that we can be reconciled back to God. We thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus. But we pray, Lord, that this message of the gospel, Lord, we would not become bored with. Lord, that we would not become tired of. That we would ponder these gospel implications just like Mary did. Just like the shepherds did. And we would hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We would hold tight to this promise of redemption. We have been redeemed from our sins. And we've also been redeemed from the power of our sins. So we don't have to be walking in darkness anymore. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. We pray, Lord, that this year we would live lives that would honor you. That we would not be following the lusts of our flesh, the lusts of this world, the lusts of our eyes, but we would be faithfully following you and obeying you like Mary and Joseph did. That we would be faithfully raising up our children like Mary and Joseph did. That we would be faithfully pointing our children to God like Mary and Joseph did. That we would be faithful husbands. That we would be faithful wives. That we would be faithful children. That you would help us all to honor you with our lives. That people may see our good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. We pray that you would use our ransom lives for your glory this year, Lord. We pray that you would use our lives as vessels for your honor. That people may see Christ in us, not just by what we say, but what we do as well. And that people would come to faith. And that we would have opportunities to, to bring them to the Father. That show them the gospel. Tell them about our merciful Redeemer. Redeemer. 